Happy Father's Day to all of you guys. If you can identify with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was just listening to what Ryan said before I came out. And I'm like, yeah, I, I had a conversation with Tammy this morning about what I was going to wear. And she said, you look like a 75-year-old man in Florida if that's what you're going to wear today. <laughs> so I just said, okay, I'm just going to go with the jeans and an untucked shirt and uh, be done with it. So anyhow. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. We're so glad that you're here with us today. This is your first time when we, we want to welcome you. If you're watching online, you're at one of our campuses. Can we welcome our campuses? Appleton, Brookfield, Milwaukee, Germantown online. We're glad to have you. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, digitally or paper, it's going to be on the screen if you need that. But John chapter 5. I just want to say a big thank you before we get into today's message for your generosity last weekend uh, for Fire Bible, and, uh, which is basically a full-life study Bible that we are, we are helping finish. It's been translated into the Lingali language, which would go to the Congolese people. In the, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, and so we are raising funds for basically 10,000 Bibles. Uh, Ryan gave me the number this morning. We're at 4,508 Bibles that has come in as of today, this morning prior to the service. And so if you want to do something for that at any point in time, if you're like, oh yeah, I plan to do that, or I wasn't here last week, or yeah, no worries. $18 pays for basically an entire study Bible that will go to one of these pastors uh, there. And so that's our goal is to get to 10,000. And so we're about halfway there. And so again, I want to say thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for what you're doing uh, and for your heart for not just around the corner, but around the world. And so again, you can just, if you want to do anything, you literally can go online and do that. You can also uh, just put it in the envelope that's in, the, in, in front of you or talk to anybody at the resource center, see me, see any of us, and we'll be happy to help you. And if you're writing a check, you can write it out to Life Church, and it will just, and just put Fire Bible. It'll all go there. None of it stays here. It all goes there for this project. And so, again, thank you for your generosity. Father's Day. Uh, one of the things, again, is, uh, again, I, we have, Tammy and I, we, uh, I think we have no kids at home, but we do. We have a 20-year-old that's in college living on her own, right? Uh, and uh, she's great. She's awesome. We love her. We love the fact that she's here from, from school this summer. And, and, uh, but but kind of no more in that, that little kid, elementary, middle school, high school. We're more, you know, our eldest is married and, and our youngest is, uh, is in college. And so we're in that season of life. And uh, I was thinking about how as a dad, as a parent, and I think today's message, whether you're single parent, whether you're, uh, you know, mom, dad, uh, men, women, you, you can apply this. But I really want to talk to, to, to men a lot today. And, uh, but when you're listening, when, when you're thinking about this, kids basically, they watch you. They listen to you and they imitate you, especially when they're young. As they get older, they, they're acting like they're not watching and acting like they're not listening. Although my youngest, or excuse me, my oldest, I'll never forget uh, having a conversation about finance, personal finance, when, um, when she got older. And she was talking about commingling funds and how to set up accounts and all of this. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I thought you were brain dead on these issues. And you're repeating exact verbiage that we were talking about and how to deal with this. And so they do listen, even when they act like they're not. They do watch, even when they act like they're not. But when they're young, they do it and they imitate right? As they get older, they want to separate. You know what I'm talking about? Like, drop me off around the corner. I don't want anyone to see. 
whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, they, uh, they do that. And when, when, uh, when the girls were little, um, I remember one time uh, just being in the car and having both of them with me, and we were going somewhere. And this is back when Ava was still in a car seat. She's in a booster car seat, and Anna isn't. And so we're, we're going and doing something, and we're in traffic. It's not a big deal. I'm not losing my mind. I'm not even really paying attention. And all of a sudden, with that little voice and that lisp, the way that she would say it, she, Ava just had this huge sigh, threw her hands up in the air and back down and said, these people are driving me crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Of course, Anna's like, I don't know. I don't know what she's saying. I said, these people are driving me crazy. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, that's what mom says <laughs> all the time in traffic. She's watching, she's listening, she's imitating. As parents, we reproduce in our kids who and what we are, whether we like it or we don't. Case in point, not just when they're little do they imitate, but do you ever catch yourself as a parent saying things that your folks said to you that you promised yourself you would never say? Like, this is going to hurt you, me, more than it's going to hurt you. Or, or um, no way I ever get spankings anymore? Okay. You know, welcome to my world, my, my dad. So, uh, and anyhow, it's just, or, or like, you know, one of these days you'll understand this when you're older. Or, or uh, you know, if, uh, if, if everybody's going to go jump off of a bridge, are you going to follow them? You know, you're, 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 you know what, all of this stuff. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You know, all of this kind of stuff. Oh, you don't even know them, but I know the kind of person that they are. I mean, you just say things. And then occasionally you get a glimpse of yourself. You ever done this? And all of a sudden, you are your dad or you are your mom. I remember standing at a gas pump one day, and all of a sudden, there was this reflection. And here I am wearing khaki pants and this sweatshirt and white tennis shoes. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, I'm becoming my father. Like, this is happening. And, and not that I don't love my dad, but it was like, I'm too young for this. You feel like that, right? So, and uh, anyhow, so you reproduce who and what you are in your children. Jesus talks about this relationship between a parent, a father, and a child, and how that relationship works in John chapter 5. Now, Jesus was never a parent, contrary to some conspiracy theorists that he had children and they're whatever, they're roaming the earth or whatever today. No, no, he was never a, he never fathered children here this, on this earth. He's not a father, but he talks about the relationship between himself and God the Father. And he describes it in, very, in a very interesting way. And I, I just want to read this. John chapter 5, verse number 16 through 21. Then we're going to go to verse 30. Jesus says this. And, and, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So he's healing, the, healing people. He's doing this stuff. And, and Jesus answered them, verse 17, For my Father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18, and this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you that the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And for, and the, for the father loves the son and shows him all that, that he himself is doing. And greater works than these shall he show him so that you may marvel. 
So for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Verse, now go down to verse 30. Jesus says this, For I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me, which would be God the Father. So according to Jesus, his father lived, his father taught, his father, basically Jesus reproduced in his work here on this earth what he saw the father doing. Now, from a theological perspective, it's very interesting because it shows us how the divinity of Christ was played out on this earth and, and, and the rhythm in which he went through. So there are so many facets to this of, of, of how, you, how uh, you, you teach and how you coach and how you develop people uh, from that perspective. Uh, the, the rhythms of life of Jesus would be with the people, then he's away from the people. How Jesus, through the person of the Holy Spirit, as he's walking with God the Father, is on this earth. He's separated physically, but spiritually he's connected. Therefore, because you and I may be separated physically from, the, from, from God the Father and Jesus the Son, through the Holy Spirit, we can be connected spiritually. But I want to go through all of that, and I just want to look at the relationship between father and son. Because that's what he's talking about here. We see a regular pattern in Jesus' life, especially when he goes into public ministry. Privately, we don't really know what happens from the age of about 12, 13, until the time he is 30. We don't know in those years. We know we, he was a carpenter by trade. We, we know he probably resided in Capernaum. We know that, that his father, Joseph, at some point from that time until, until age 30, his father dies. We know he's the eldest. Therefore, he's having to make sure that mom, Mary, is taken care of. We know he has other brothers and sisters. We know he has a large family network. We, we understand all of that. But then when we see him go public in ministry, all of a sudden we see these rhythms where he's healing the sick and he's raising the dead and he's, he's doing all this. He's confronting the religious leaders and the injustice of the day. He's, he, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's teaching in the synagogue. Uh, again, we're, we're getting this trip planned up again, and I hope that you go with us. It's going to be in 2023, but we're going to go back to Israel and uh, banning some, you know, barring some pandemic happening in the world where it just, anyhow. And so we're, we're going to go back. And so one of the places you'll get to go is Magdala, which is basically where Mary Magdalene's from. And so it's a seaside village that's there in the Galilee. And they've actually unearthed the, the original street where Jesus would have anyone who was coming on from, from the Sea of Galilee, this is how they would have come into, into the village. This is how they would have come into the city. And right there, they've unearthed the synagogue. There would have been one in that, in that village. And so Jesus taught there. We know that. So we know that he was in that space. It's just a pretty cool deal. You, we, you see him doing all of this stuff, and he's, he's there, and he's here, and he's there, and he's here, and he's, he's doing all, feeding the 5,000, and he's teaching, and he's doing all of this and living this life. But then there is these moments where he's pushing away and pushing away and pushing away, and they have to go find him. The disciples go, hey, everybody's looking for you. And while yet it was still dark and morning, Jesus went to be with the Father. And he, he's got this rhythm where he's with the people and he's pressing in and then he's away from the people. And in that time, he tells in the Gospel of John here, John chapter 5, exactly what's going on. And it's, it's, it's this ideology, it's this theology, if you would, that we reproduce who and what we are. He's going to the Father as a son and saying, what do I do? How do I do? What do I do? How do I do? Not much unlike that we're supposed to do with our relationship with God having a daily download where, okay, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. What do you want me to do today? I love what he says in this passage too, where he says, I only do what I see the father doing. 
So that means every time we see him, whether he's healing blind Bartimaeus, whether he is throwing over the tables in in the temple, whether he's calling Zacchaeus out of a tree, whether he's going to the crazy party that Matthew's going to throw, whatever he's doing in the day, the Father's already shown him in the morning. And he's simply following the example of the Father. What a way to live. Well, the truth of the matter is you and I can live that way. Through the person of the Holy Spirit, he's the one, the paraclete, the one that walks alongside, the one that comes alongside of us. He's there, and at salvation, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we have that opportunity beyond salvation to have this, this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there is this full plethora of all that the Holy Spirit can do. It's there for us. But this is how Jesus lived life. He did what he saw the Father doing. He listened. He watched. He imitated much like my four-year-old did in that car that day when she was just reciting the words of her mother with awful expression. These people are driving me crazy. Jesus says here in verse 17 that he sees the work of the Father. If you're going to take notes, these are three things that Jesus sees the Father doing that he imitates. First of all, the work of the Father. The work of the Father. He he says right there in verse 17, for my father is working until now, so I am working. What I see the father doing, I'm doing. Work. The Bible says in Colossians 3.23 that for whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. We know that work, vocation, calling, your job, predates the fall of man, predates sin. Before sin entered into the world, God gave, God gave uh, Adam a job. What was his job? To have dominion over the face of the planet. To name the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the, 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 uh, the, the, the fish of the sea, to have dominion over the planet. If you just watch the latest Jurassic Park movie, which is pretty cool, Jeff Goldblum does a full monologue in that where he flips the script. This is secular humanism that comes in every point in time. And if we're not careful, it gets into our, kind of gets into our frontal cortex. And he says, we are not here to have dominion. We are here to peacefully coexist with nature. Uh, it's not what Genesis 1.1, Genesis 2.2, Genesis 3 says. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It says that we, we are the only thing on the face of the planet that's created in the image and likeness of God. Everything else is a handiwork of God but we are created in his image. It's the difference between being the son of a carpenter and being the carpentry. The carpentry is the world that we live in. The carpenter's son is you. And that's who, and so we're to have dominion and we're to have this and we're, 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 and so we have a responsibility. I get that, but at the same time, we are here. This is for the world and the fullness thereof is created for your benefit and unto the glory of God. That's why it was done. I'm saying this to say, whatever your job, your vocation, your calling is, your children, men, they're looking at you. They're looking at you, the work of the Father. They're going to work the way you work. You're a deadbeat, that's what they're going to do. You get up and you do a job and you're consistent and you go, but Aaron, I just, I don't do anything great. Doesn't matter. 
You're, you're providing for your family. You're, you're loving your wife. You're, you're, you're being faithful to what you're doing. You're carving time out of your schedule because you've worked all week long and you go to church and you do this. And it doesn't matter whether you preach a sermon. It doesn't matter if you're a corporate CEO. It doesn't matter how many initials are before or after your name. It doesn't matter if anybody ever knows your name. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. And if you do that, what happens is your kids see that and they reproduce that in their life. I go to church on Sundays, not because I'm a pastor, not because I was raised in a pastor's home, because I was not. I go to church on Sunday because I was raised in a household. First of all, it, you, even if you said you were sick, then my mom and dad would say, well, great, you need to go to church. Let them pray for you, right? That's what the Bible says, the book of James. Uh, lay the hands on the sick. And that, so we'll, we, if you're sick, son, you come, we'll lay you on the pew over here. And then when it's time, we'll bring you up to, I mean, there was no way out. And that's back when you did Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and Sunday school. Woo, I'm about, to, I'm about to preach, Tammy. I'm about to lay it on right now. My dad worked in a factory every, every week. He went to work at 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. He, he got home at 4.10. It was done at 4 o'clock. Interesting that I know my dad's schedule, even today at 50 years of age. My dad's been retired for some 15-plus years, but I still know his schedule. He's paid every Tuesday. Interesting that I know that. You know why I know that? Because every Tuesday night, after mom would make dinner, dad had a box with the bills. He had a checkbook, and he would sit down, and the first check he would write was tithe. That's how I learned how to tithe. I didn't learn how to tithe because I'm a pastor. I didn't learn how to tithe because they taught me that in seminary. Quite frankly, they don't even talk about that, unfortunately, in seminary. Most preachers are some of the worst people to ask for funds that I know of. I learned that from a man who worked a factory job at 7 a.m. every morning, got home at 4.10 every afternoon, and that 1980 Custom Deluxe short bed pickup truck, three-speed column. Yeah, my brother and I both learned how to drive on that and burn two clutches out in the process. <laughs> you know why, how I know how to work today? Not because I read it in some course or not because I had some professor, but because I had a father who got up and worked every day of my life. Didn't gripe about it, didn't complain about it. That's what he did because that's what he had to do. Didn't realize till later that I would watch and he, there would just be things like, he, we all got new Easter clothes every Easter for church, but dad didn't because dad made sure that the boys... And mom were taken care of. When I became an adult, I was like, oh. Never forget, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was on the train tracks right before, uh, right, right after the airport there in Fort Smith before we hit, hit um, Zero Street where the, where the factory was. And I was going to work, I was working the factory that summer with my dad. We were working 10-hour shifts. And uh, it was the most money I'd ever made in my life. I think it was like 10 bucks an hour. And... Uh, and I was, we were, we were on our way. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at him. I mean, I was dead dog tired. I had stayed out with my friends, all hanging out, having fun, all that kind of a deal. And I just said, why on God's green earth do you do this? He said, simple. I got a wife. I got two sons. I got responsibilities. I said yes to that. I'm saying yes to this. This has provided a roof over our head. God has used us to bless our family. It's provided us insurance, and it's paying for your way through college. 
That's why I do it. Do you love it? No. I don't hate it. I'm thankful to have a job, son. Son, in the 70s, I remember when I was having to pick up rocks along the, the, the freeways in order to try to get a job because I was laid off. Man, never gets laid off. You'll, you'll, you, will, you will understand the value and the benefit of a job. That's why I work today. That's where my work ethic comes from. That's the reason why I go to church on Sundays, because I saw a man who worked all week long building air conditioners in a factory that was unair conditioned in the south, which it's 96 degrees there today. And uh, we get up at church on Sunday and Sunday school and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I see and do. I see my father working. I work. You want your children to work and how you want them to work? Whatever your hand finds to do, do is unto the Lord. It doesn't matter because whatever you do, whether you work in a factory or whether you preach in a pulpit, it's holy unto God. Why? Because vocation and calling and your job predates sin and because God has given that to you. And when you have that, you have something. And so you are grateful for whatever that may be. Second thing we do is we see the life of the Father. The life of the Father. Verse 19. The life of the Father. He says the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. He's watching what the father's doing. He's watching the life and the rhythm of the father. He's watching, and whatever he sees the father doing, that's what he's imitating, literally, in the life of Christ. He's talking about values. What, what, what does a father value? Do, what, what are your values? Do you know what your values are? Have you ever sat down and go, oh, well, I mean, because we all go, well, I have values, but what are they? Can you articulate them? Could you you give me your top five values? Have you ever thought about that? If you haven't, I'd encourage you to do that. Because if you don't know what they are, it's a real good chance that your kids don't know what they are. Do your kids know what your values are? You know, I I told you that Tammy and I are youngest. She's coming home from college. And so if you've ever had kids go off to college and then come back home, they live a very different life. And then they're coming back into your orbit. Notice how I said it's your orbit. Now, some people call the houses today, and I love real estate. I watch real estate all the time. If you're a real estate agent, like you are living, like I'm vicariously living through you because I just think it's a fascinating world. But they've gone from the master bedroom to the primary bedroom. Now, my house is still the master bedroom. It's still, it's, it's, I own the house, baby. This is mine, right? It's my remote. Amen. Can I get a witness? That's my refrigerator. Holla. That's daddy's chair. Holla, holla. I'm not making excuses. If, if we have in the pantry what you want, you're going to have to sweet talk your mother because I'm not spending money on on you, it's all about me, right? And so anyhow, she comes home from school and I just know, I mean, I was the same way. I mean, your, your rhythms are different. Things are different. Everything's different. She's not doing anything wrong. I said, Ava, I got two questions. <sighs> yes, sir. She's thinking I'm fixing to lay it on. I'm like, I'm not. I just did two questions, two questions. Um, question number one, do you know what I think about right and wrong, what's expected, not expected? She goes, yes, dad. No questions. No, dad. Second question, do you know how to get a hold of me in case you don't know what to? Yes, dad. We're golden then. Great. Because you know what I think. And you know why she knows what I think? Because I've said it so many stinking times. And I've written it down and we've talked about it and, and, and we've raised her and, and done this. So, th- so there's not a question of what I think. It's there it is. Now, whether you want to live that way, you want to do that, you agree with it, you are your own person. But under my roof, when I live in my house, right, with my food, or we establish this, my TV, 
You understand? And I have a TV. Matter of fact, nobody in my house watches televisions except for me, and there are three. And because I want a TV on every, on every place of the house. I was, right, I was a kid in the 80s. Anybody else, right? Remember the big TVs? And Oh, man, come on, take me back. Take me back. So I just, that's it. This is it. I want a television. I don't care if anybody else watches it. I'm going to watch it. This is what we're going to do. So values, what are yours? Character. What's the character that they're emulating? It's honesty. It's keeping your word. It's attitude. It's all that. Strengths. These are the things that we admire in our parents. But also more than just strengths, your weaknesses. Now, I'm not telling you to air all your dirty laundry out with your kids. But the times that you admit when you're wrong, which may be few, I get it. But but you admit that you're wrong. Is that just too close for comfort right there? Nobody laughed. They're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he's just saying that. I'm leaving this church. Okay. The times that you admit you're wrong, can I just tell you, we admire strengths, but we identify with weakness. The greatest people that have ever taught you something in life weren't the people that looked perfect. They were the people that worked through their own junk to become successful or to overcome, but they were honest about their weaknesses. And they let you in just enough to see. Sometimes, as a parent, as a dad, it's important that you're just not perfect. Because, again, to your kids, wow, you're larger than life. You remember when your kids were in first and second, third grade, and you could do math in your head, and they thought you were a math genius? Except for this new math, it doesn't, still doesn't work. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? That's not how you do this, Dad. This is what they teach in school. Well, let me talk to that teacher. I remember having that conversation with Tammy. Get that teacher on the phone. What are they teaching these kids? <sighs> Anyhow, I'm sorry. I, I don't really care. We have calculators. Whatever. It's just my point is, my point is, it's just, but it's, the, we admire strength. But we respond to, we identify with weakness. It's never wrong for you to look at your child and just say, I, I just need you to know I'm, I'm not always great with this. I need you to know that there's sometimes I set an expectation maybe for you because I'm trying to prevent you from making the mistake that I made. You don't have to tell them what the mistake is. I mean, there's sometimes there's wisdom in them knowing there's a struggle, but they don't know what it is. It's kind of like when Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. We just know that he struggled. But the fact that he struggles is where we identify. I don't identify with your perfection. I identify with your weakness. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19 says, you shall teach them, speaking about your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking along the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. We read this scripture every time we do a baby dedication. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we're constantly talking, connecting the dots, helping them understand. Even when they get in those teen years and they roll their eyes in the back of their head like, yes, dad, I get that, yes. But the world's going to keep sliding stuff in there. They're going to keep saying things. You've got to continue to keep that input, keep that input, keep that input so that they see that life and understand that. And the last thing is the love of the father. Verse 20. Talks about the love of the Father. For the Father loves the Son and shows him. 
This is interesting to me. Jesus is the son of God. He's perfect in every way. He's the savior of the world. I'm not equating him to Superman, but I'm just saying in a secular view, that would be who he is. Yet we see two times in recorded history in scripture where God, while Jesus is on the planet, speaks audibly so that not just Jesus can hear, but everyone who's there can hear. Now, the voice of God has not been heard like that. I could be wrong on this, but I don't think I am. All the way back to the garden. And in both instances, it's at the baptism of Jesus, the River Jordan, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, up to the mountain. And both times, the Father speaks these words, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And everybody hears it. We know they hear it because Jesus doesn't say that's what happened. The recorders of the gospel are actually writing these words. Interesting. It's interesting that God doesn't speak audibly in a way. He spoke through prophets and through, and through priests and he, and, and, and of old. But, but, but his voice is heard. And only on these two occasions... And in both occasions, it's not something revelatory, even that affects you and me, but it's just directed to the son. Which makes you say these words of affirmation are really, really, really important. If the affirmation of the father is important to Jesus, the son, how much more is the affirmation of you and I to our children? You show me a child who's been affirmed by their father. I will show you a child who's not perfect, but they are confident. You show me a child who's lacked affirmation from their father, and I will show you a child who has an inadequacy that they are constantly trying to fill that hole and live up to some level of expectation because they've never heard the words, I love you from that father. I'm proud of you. This is my son. This is my boy and whom I am well pleased. I'm 50 years of age. And my old man looks at me and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I don't care if anybody else likes me. Well, except for Tammy. I need Tammy to like me, right? But I don't care if anybody else. It's all I need. Because the affirmation of the father is so important in the life of a child. We see this. Sociologists, psychologists, they show us this. We, we see this over and over and over and over. This affirmation. So it's this love of the father. How do you love your children? You affirm them. You don't protect them from reality and life. God doesn't put Jesus in a bubble wrap. God, God, doesn't, God, God, God doesn't put all of these, God doesn't strike everyone down who comes against him. No, he lets him live his life, but at the same time, he affirms him so that the journey that the son is on, the son knows he's in the right direction because the father is affirming him. And the father's not just affirming him personally, he's affirming him publicly. And if Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, need, needed affirmation publicly from his Father more than once, how much more do you and I need that affirmation from an earthly father? Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. So, so, so that, that's, the, that's the first thing. The second thing that we see when we talk about the love of the Father is absence. 
Jesus notices when the Father leaves. He's suspended from heaven and earth, dying for the sins of humanity. And, he cry, and God turns his face because he can't look at, the, at, at his son. He cannot look. Remember, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So on that cross, the gruesomeness was not the physical brutality. But it was Jesus became the personification of what sin looks like. And that broke the heart of the father to a point that he turned his head. And that moment, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it doesn't matter how old you get, how big you get, or if you are the savior of the world, you still need the affirmation of the father but you notice the absence. And maybe this Father's Day, your earthly father has passed from last until now. And there's an absence that's there. Don't just shuff that off. Don't just go, oh, I need to be stronger. I need to be. No, 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 no. No, because there's something about that. It's okay. Give yourself that moment to say, this is a really rough day. This is a really difficult time and I'm struggling. Take a moment and just sit in the grief and call it what it is, but give it to the Lord. Dads, your presence are important in your children's life in a way that mom can do a lot of amazing things. And, and trust me, Mother's Day gets, we spend more money on Mother's Day than Father's Day and more da da da. I get all of that. Moms are great. Tammy said, used to say to me, she'd say, but when you're gone on a trip and you come back home, the heaviness of the gate of how you walk on the wood floors in the house, it's like the girls are like, ah, oh, dad's home. He can be an angry bear sometimes. He can be cantankerous and irritated, but he's still the protector. And I don't mean that in a chauvinistic way. I mean that I have two daughters and it just, there's just a certain calming. They know when you're gone and they're when you're home. And I always say, well, they don't really act like I'm that great, but you know, whatever. <laughs> And you may go, man, I'm a single mom. Like, what about my kids? Great, I'm glad you're preaching this, but what about my kids? They don't have that presence, that affirmation. There's an absence of a father. This is what I love about the Bible. This is what I love about the heart of God. Old Testament, New Testament, but Psalm 68 verse five says that God promises that he will be a father to the fatherless. Jesus says, I'll be that. So what does that mean? That means that we are made with a need to have that mom and that dad in our life. And so when dad is gone, God will come in through the person of the Holy Spirit and fill the internal, emotional, um, spiritual, the base DNA need that we have 
and make up that, that space if we'll let them. So maybe that's you and you're just going, what do I do? Just lean to Jesus and stand on his word. I'd also say to you moms, if there's any man in this church that can ever, you need something to be like, you know, it's a father-son deal. Call me, call us. We'll find myself, one of the staff guys, one of the board members, we'll go. We had a fight night this Friday night for the men. The young man in the church whose dad has passed away one of the staff pastors reached out and said, why don't you come with me? Your dad would bring you this. Why don't you come with me? How cool. That's what the church is for. So is that guy replacing his dad? No, no, no. He's just stepping in that gap to say, look, I, I, I just want to make sure that there's a presence that's here and let the love of the Father flow through me to touch you. That's what we're here for. Verse 30, he says, Jesus says these words, I can do nothing on my own. That's how we should all be with the Father. So I just want to encourage you. Men, you don't have to have some amazing job. You don't have to have some amazing career. You don't have to be known by anybody or applauded by anybody. But as you get up and you work, whatever job it is that God's put in front of you, you're teaching and training your children. You're not perfect, but as you live out your values and you articulate and you talk and you communicate, like Deuteronomy 11 uh, talks about, and you even express your strengths and weaknesses, you're living out what the Father did for the Son. And your love, your affirmation means more than anything. Because don't forget, I don't care whether they're three or 13, or 35, or 65. They're watching, they're listening, and they're imitating. I wanna pray for all of you men today. So if you're a guy in this room, I just want you to stand up. If you don't mind, just, just stand up. You don't have to be a father, just if you're a guy. I'm 13, stand up, right? <laughs> no hair on your chest, great. You'll have hair on your back before long and you'll want to get rid of that. Amen. Stand up. I want to pray for you. You're enough. That's what I want you to hear. I, 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 I want to I get in your kitchen a little bit and I, and I, and I want to push you and, and provoke you for good works, but I want you to know you're, you're enough. Whatever you're doing, whatever work and job, you're enough. But I'm between jobs right now, but, but, but you're, you're out there pounding the pavement trying to get that. You're enough. It's not about what you do. You're doing is unto the Lord. You're enough. You're not perfect. That's okay. Remember, we admire strengths and you all have strengths. But man, we identify with weakness. You're enough. And your love, just your love, means more than what you will ever understand. Because every child, every son, every daughter loves to hear their dad say, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what we're talking about here, all of us can do. 
We don't have to be superheroes. We don't have to have a cape. We don't have to make a certain amount of money. We can do this. Father, I just thank you today for these men. I thank you, Lord, that they're enough. Not because they're perfect, not because they have it all together, but because the way you designed us and you put us together and the way you created this world and the heavens and all there is, God, you gave us the ability. You didn't set the bar so high that we couldn't attain it. You made it so that in the rhythm of how we live and do life, it's enough. So I pray for these men. I pray, Lord, as they live their life and their vocation, their job and their calling, I pray you bless it, bless the work of their hands and let them never despise what they do. I just do, or this is not enough. No, 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 no. It's not about, it's about the fact that they are working and they're giving is unto you. Lord, I pray for any man that's here today that's in need of, of a job, that's in need of, of gainful employment, that maybe is even trying to make a transition to even better himself for his family. I just pray you would open up the right door, close all the wrong doors. Let us not be frustrated with wrong doors being being closed, but open up the right doors. There's a guy that's here today and you are frustrated because there's doors that are closing and you think that God is not helping you. But I'm telling you, I'm just stopping right now to tell you that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your life today. He has closed those doors because those are not the right doors. He is opening the right door. Just be patient in this moment. Just be patient. Don't, don't become weary and well-doing for in due season, if you don't quit, if you'll just be patient, God's opening up the right door. There's some guy, that's your deal. Man, you hold on to that today. You take that today and you claim that today. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for, for the ability that we have, God, just to, to live our life in the rhythm of our lives. Lord, help us to understand ourselves, what our values are, but to articulate those to our kids. Because if we don't, this world is going to fill that void with their values. Oh, God, let it not be so of our children. Let our children love you with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, all their strength. Let our children live their life leaning on your word and leaning on it so heavily that if it were to move, they would fall. And God, we stand upon your word. Your word says when we train up a child in the way that they will go, they'll not depart from it. The values, the biblical values, the Judeo-Christian values that are being taught that we are endeavoring to put into our kids. Your word says that when we do that, you will make sure that that will come to full fruition. I pray that in Jesus' name. And God, I pray the love that these men have, God, let them never suppress it. Let them never let a society teach them to suppress it. But God, in their ruggedness, in their, in their, in their strength, in their humility, in their meekness, which is power under control, they have the ability to crush, yet they choose to give life. God, let their words of affirmation over their children, God, be plentiful. I pray, God, let their absence be minimal. And I just pray your hand would be upon them today. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for this insight into the relationship with you and the heavenly Father. And help us all to live life this way, that apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You men can be seated. Can we give these guys a big hand?